I had a really rather retarded moment yesterday, which I think you'll be quite amused about. Amused by? Amused by? Amused by? Amused bush. I was um, amused bush. <laughs> I was <laughs> I'm talking of talking of food. I was uh, cooking a rather lovely beetroot and goat's cheese risotto. They're very nice. Get us. Very nice. <laughs> Get us. Ah. It involved cooking a little bit on the stovetop and then putting the dish in the oven. So I checked out my scam pan. This is just getting more middle class, isn't it? It is. Um, I got a scam. We got scam pans, yeah. And of you um, do. the scam pans can go in the oven, so you can use them as a stovetop um, pan and also, you know, like a casserole dish. So I did what I was told to do by the uh, by the book. Shoved it in the oven for an hour, and then when I went to get it out, I was like, oh, "Yep, yeah, I'm not stupid." Oven gloves, pop it on the surface, and then with my other hand, I went to take the lid off. <laughs> I went, fuck, and dropped it, luckily not on a child's head. Went over to the sink, ran cold water over my hands for as little time as I thought I could get away with because I needed to get dinner sorted. And then went back, and do you know what I did with my left hand? I grabbed the handle. (laughs) (laughs) That is special. That's really fucking stupid, isn't it? Yeah, good work. Remarkably stupid, isn't it? Yeah, well done. Anyway, have you burnt any parts of your body this week? (laughs) Um, I'm always red hot, Tom. So it's it's you that's doing the burning. I'm doing the burning. Yeah, I'm a fire hazard. Nobody burns you. I mean, it's... Well, apart from apart from BBC. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! For listeners, I edited the beginning out. Now we're going to have to leave it in. I didn't get a job this week. <laughs> I, I don't know where where I sit anymore at the start of these recordings because I, I did try and make up silly stories and then you criticised them. I didn't criticise uh, your silly stories. And and then I, I started... I edited them heavily. <laughs> I, I then started giving you anecdotes about hydroelectric power. Got criticised for that. You didn't get, Again, you're taking being edited heavily as criticism. It's not criticism. I'm not actively criticising you. I'm just silently fixing you. It's <laughs> Take it as a compliment. Fuck's sake. <laughs> so like a Coldplay song on mute. <laughs> Silently that is, fix well, you. that's yeah, that's that's how to fix a Coldplay song. <laughs> mute the bastard. <laughs> uh, for, I actually quite like Coldplay. Um, <sighs> you quite like stories about hydroelectric power. That's the level. That's the level of excitement you operate at. <laughs> Says the man with a train set in his loft. I think I can't help but feel there's a bit of a pot kettle black yeah. going on here. This is this is the man with the burnt hands calling the panhandle hot. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom, who's frightfully working class and comes from Hampshire. Hello, I was born in Newcastle, don't you know? <laughs> I'm a northerner, frightfully common and awfully proud of it. Oh yes, yes. And Sam, me, who was born in Birmingham and is therefore officially a Peaky Blinder. Discuss history stories on a theme each week. The uh, topic is decided, the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. I'm also frightfully middle class. Cillian Murphy after he goes posh and gets rich. And what's our topic this week, Tom? Is that what happens? I lost track of it. It got very violent in that series. It got two, very violent. <laughs> well, well, it started, yes, it started off, right. off as rainbows and kittens. <laughs> The Peaky Blinders Animal Sanctuary for doe-eyed, <laughs> unadopted puppies and kittens. <laughs> I, it wasn't so bad. And then the shooting started. I got so you can have too much of a good thing, can't you? It was like suits. We gave up on suits after about three seasons because we got so fed up with the smug twats. <laughs> Speaking of being a twat, Tom, what's our topic this week? 
Yes, asshole. Yeah, I thought that was. No, just, I thought no. that was a passive aggressive insult. And it took me a moment. It's and, no, it was. A, it was just a friendly cue in, <laughs> to which the answer wasn't yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, asshole youth, and I've got a cracking subject. And I was very, very rude last week in our Patreon episode. You were horribly oh, rude. Oh, I was deeply offended. Record-breakingly rude source from the restoration. Anyway. I'm very clean this week, Ooh. and just just silly like a instead. Whistle. Like a, clean as a whistle, clean and silly this week. Oh, good. Yeah, good, good, good. Well, I'm clean and silly as well. We have some audience feedback, Tom. Get out of here. Yeah, Brennan Harg from Iowa sent us a message saying, "I discovered your podcast a couple of weeks ago after hearing about it on the Constant, which is a podcast, very good podcast that we cross promoted hey, a little while ago." Thank you, Constant. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to your entire back catalogue of episodes, and nearly every episode has caused me to burst out laughing. I think I know the ones that haven't. I've <laughs> <laughs> been one or two that barely made, barely made the cut. There was a bit, there was a bit of back and forth. Should we re-record? Nah, we're all right. Yep. we've only got, two, we've only got two listeners yep. at the moment. Ah, uh, the halcyon early days. <laughs> It's been an invaluable escape from reality during these troubled times. Keep up the great work. Best regards, Brennan. P.S. No offence, but your American accents are pretty shitty. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take offence. <laughs> Where did you say he was from? Iowa. Go on. Cowboy town. <laughs> Iowa. Let's have a look at some pictures well, of Iowa. Well, its flag is French with an eagle, so there we go. It is French with an eagle, isn't yeah. it? And suitably, the eagle's flying away. <laughs> so very French. Yes. No. No. You're looking at it in small view. The eagle's flying towards you. Oh, is it? Yeah. And what's it saying? It's got very big speech bubble. Our liberties we prize, and our rights we will maintain. And the eagle appears to be dropping the slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Not interested in that. Uh, anyway, thank you, Brennan. And uh, yes. <laughs> Tom, Tom's reference five minutes ago, which is where we will rejoin the conversation after some hefty editing about the national bird of Iowa. Tom's doing an impression of a, of a 90s British game show. Kel surprise! <laughs> called, shooting, called Shooting Stars with Vic and Bob. In which one of the contestants, who was an American celebrity, he asked her where she was from and she said New York. And he said, Tom... Cowboy town! <laughs> yes, he did. Which is obviously... A, it's the joke funny because it's not... Yes. It's a joke on British ignorance of American geography, isn't it? Ha ha! A double-layered joke because of American mm. ignorance on world geography. Right. Uh, <laughs> and that's for saying our accent's shitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. Thank you for the feedback. And thank you for subscribing as a patron. Did he? Yeah. Wow. Kapow. Uh, right. Do you want to go first, Tom, or shall I go first? What's your choice? What's your poison? Oh, I'm going to go first this week. Are you? Good, this yep. is high risk. I'm on my second whiskey, so if it goes quiet, <laughs> prod me through the microphone. <laughs> um, I'm very well prepared for this episode because I accidentally thought up this topic... <laughs> Three weeks ago. ...a week in advance. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was good because it just meant I could get straight into it. And it also allowed me the time to go on a nice side topic. What, what, what would be a better word? You pick them. <laughs> a nice deviation. I'm going to go on a British culture, pop culture deviation, because I'm going to be talking about English private school rebellions, um, and it made me think about the Bash Street Kids, where all the kids are posh, like Cuthbert Cringeworthy. I think, do you need to describe the Back Street Kids? The, 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 the Back Street Kids? The Back Street Boys? <laughs> A mix of the Bash Street Kids and the Back Street Boys. <laughs> Oh, I'll give you a Backstreet Boys song. Come on. That's that's an impression you're going to have to do. <laughs> Backstreet Boys. Backstreet's Apparently... back. Come on. 
Yes, the I want it that way. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, yes, no, the Bass Street Kids are very, very different to the Backstreet Boys. boys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's quite difficult now that you've got that in my head. Yes. <laughs> so, no, I'm going to go on a very, very nice little detail. Yeah, well, you need to describe because no one outside of Britain and under the age of 30 is going to know what the Bass Street Kids are. Okay, I'll tell you what, park the Bass Street Kids for a moment. And let's talk about the the Beano, because that's where we really need to start before we tell you who the Bash Street Kids are. It's a comic book. Uh, they're from a comic book. And the Beano is Britain's longest running children's comic and has been published weekly since 1938 with only a, a few brief periods where they were published fortnightly and that was due to ink shortages during the Second World War. And I say British, it's actually Scottish. It is. Uh, from a publisher in Aberdeen. And it's not superhero nonsense, so it's not that sort of now very, very cliche um, Hollywood superhero stuff. It's good old-fashioned silliness with recurring characters being very mischievous. Basically, the fu- it's, what, it's the funnies in the US. What are the funnies? I've not heard of They're the They're the newspaper cartoons, like comic strips and yes. newspapers. But it's a whole... Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. But it's um, that they're vein. longer, and there's a number of them in the comic. And alongside the dandy which was a similar comic book by the same publisher. The Beano is a huge part of British culture. And the Dandy was actually was. started... I don't think anyone under the age of 30 reads it. No, well, that's what I was going to... It's bought by people who used to be children. Yes, well, we still get the, the annual as a family. Um, so we get the, Chris, the Christmas annual, and that's in the downstairs toilet at the family home. <laughs> if you work through it slowly, you can uh, make the pages last until you need to buy more toilet roll in February. <laughs> oh, God, Sam, that's a heathen's thing to say about You do not wipe your ass with the Beano. God, I don't know. <laughs> You'll be burning books next. Uh, the Dandy was actually started a year before. The same year as DC Comics in the US, but ended in 2012 after sales had fallen. And both the Beano and the Dandy used to have sales as, as high as 2 million per week back in the early 50s. That is mad, isn't it? Yeah, they used to be massive. Now I think the Beano sells in the hundreds, uh, low hundreds of thousands. Dandy got down to 8,000 a week, so they just had to scrap it. Yeah. The main recurring... And this is where we're going to get on to, Amer- uh, to American pop culture as well. The main recurring Beano character since 1950 is Dennis the Menace. Who is very well known, to be fair. There's been Hollywood films and... Ah, well, there you see. That's what I found quite interesting. So, um, Dennis the Menace is the comic strip that gets the front cover of the Beano. And our American listeners might be familiar with the American Dennis the Menace, which you, it's had three films, so that's what you're referring to, isn't mm. it? Um, and I remember the television series as well from uh, my yes. youth. Bizarrely, the two are totally unrelated. What? And coincidentally, both started at almost the same time, 1950 or 1951. Really? Yeah. So the two Dennises have always respected each other as well. So they've marketed themselves slightly differently in each other's countries. So oh. uh, Dennis the Menace is known as Dennis. Oh, no. Dennis the Menace is known as Dennis the Menace and Nasher in the US. And the US Dennis the Menace is known as Dennis in the UK. Ah. Completely coincidental, apparently. Interesting. I had no idea. And here is another really good fact. Oh. Particularly for our British listeners. The name Beano is a shortening of the the hyphenated word bean feast. That sounds like a euphemism. That sounds like something from Urban Dictionary. <laughs> it does, actually, doesn't it? I didn't think of that. Uh, yes. Bean feast. Uh, which, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's it's oh, actually no. a very innocent... Slightly archaic term for a celebratory meal with lots of fun and laughter. Well, Which, again, that's, that's pretty much that's pretty much how <laughs> the dictionary describes it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Oh, this was going to be a clean episode. I was hoping this was going to be a clean episode. Yes. Anyway, where does it, where, where does the Bass Street Kids fit in with this? Yeah, it's been part of the Beano since 1956, and it just involves a class of misbehaving kids and a hapless teacher who is called Mr. Teacher and whose wife is called Mrs. Teacher. Yes. And there are characters like Plug, who's just really ugly, Fatty, who's really fat. Yeah, Fatty Smith, he's really thick. Spotty, I think, is uh, you know spotty. And there's a few other ones, but it's, they kept it's it very simple funny. for the kids, didn't they? Yeah, and this this Bass Street Kids cartoon is stuck in the fifties. So even though it's still a very it's popular, it's never moved on, has it? No, it's never moved on. Neither have its fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tom, Vino's great. Anyway, anyway, back on track. Private school rebellions. There were lots of private school rebellions during the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries. It's, it's just the name, just the word, the phrase, private school rebellions. How good is that? The reason for this, we were going to shortly, for those who don't know, there are a number of, of exceptionally old and elitist private schools in the UK. So, for example, if you look at a list of British prime ministers and their educations, you'll see that places like Harrow, Eton and Winchester and Westminster, all private, famous private schools, figure very, very prominently. Interestingly, not very prominently in the last hundred years. Hmm. Barring Boris Johnson and David Cameron, none of them have come from Eton. Interesting. And um, they've all come from lesser private schools. I was quite surprised. Still by private that. schools, all, but lesser private schools. All comprehensives. So I think Thatcher and uh, I think John Major went to a comprehensive as well. Maybe. Hmm. Yes. So a number of small, very very famous um, private schools that have been going on since God, middle medieval period, middle middle ages. Winchester College had six rebellions during the period mentioned, this 18th to 19th century. When you talk about rebellions... Oh, you wait. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? What would you think was a, a suitably radical rebellion for a private school? Well, when I was a kid, we locked our art teacher in a cupboard one lunchtime. Did you? Did you well, I say this? we. I, I didn't. I had nothing to do with this. I'm a good boy. Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. And what happened to all the children that were involved in that high uh, crime? Nothing. <laughs> no, no. No, they chair. got away with it clean. Oh, I remember we once locked our teacher out. That was funny. We used to slightly change the words on the chalkboard when the teacher briefly nice. went out of the class. Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. so you sort of rub things out, don't you? So your poo is very easy because there are lots of circles, so you can easily form lots of poo. <laughs> I distinctly remember it was an animal biology lesson, I think. The teacher accidentally drew one elephant on all fours and another elephant on two legs <laughs> right next to each other <laughs> and she couldn't understand why when she was facing us with the whiteboard behind us everyone was in stitches <laughs> as the elephants humped away behind her um, no much much worse than that these Winchester College rebellions one rebellion was over beer rations um, how good <laughs> how classic good does that sound classic school <laughs> yeah. another rebellion at Winchester Myth? College Miss I'm barely wankered <laughs> Where's my beer? I'm disgusted. Do you have any idea how much my parents pay for this? Because I don't. But I want beer. <laughs> yes. Do you have any idea how drunk I want to be compared to how drunk I am? Do you know who I am? Because my name is so long. If I start mentioning it, we're all going to be here until lunchtime. <laughs> my name is Marston. Bates. Gordon Bates. <laughs> Smythington. Parping. Williamsbury. Kenneth. Branner. Branner. <laughs> the fourth. So another rebellion ended with the headmaster being held hostage by boys wielding axes. Oof. At Winchester College. Yeah. 
There were six rebellions at Eton and five so, so at when rugby you say, school. So when you say rebellions... Talk, talk me through what happened in these rebellions at Winchester. Well, I couldn't find the exact details of all of them, but I have got exact details for a couple of crackers, which I'm going to come on to. Um, the rugby school one, there, <laughs> were, f- there were five at rugby Coming school. Coming on to a couple of crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a public school game. <laughs> Christmas time, mistletoe and wine. Coming on to a couple of crackers is what I believe is termed limp biscuits. <laughs> There's a classic public school game. <laughs> yes, yes, and a band. There were five at rugby school, and we'll come on to one of those in more detail in a moment. In 1690, so slightly before the period we're discussing, students at Manchester Grammar School fought their teachers with firearms supplied by locals over the length <laughs> of the Christmas holidays. So they were unhappy that they weren't getting enough Christmas holiday, so there was a full, full-on full firearm battle. So who, lasting- who armed the teachers in response? <laughs> Or did the teachers just have guns in the classroom? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's getting very American, isn't it? Yes, get the flintlock, um, everyone, get the flintlock musket out. Also, everyone has them. What kind of what kind? Well, I suppose it is Manchester. What kind of local goes? Hey, up, hey, up, lad! You look like you could do with a longer holiday. Why don't you take this gun and fuck your teacher up? <laughs> <laughs> fuck your teacher right over. And you won't have to come back till fifth of January instead of the fourth. <laughs> well worth it. Well worth losing a couple of lives over that extra day. It lasted two weeks, this this firearm battle. <laughs> oh, the, the length of a Christmas holiday. Seems they won. <laughs> it seems they won. <laughs> uh, the students managed to lock themselves into the school and the teachers out as part of it. Talking of uh, the military, in 1818, students at the Sandhurst Military Academy stood off against their teachers in full military formation. <laughs> so... You know, it's dangerous, Man isn't it? Man the barricades, you, yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous when you're teaching kids at a military academy how to uh, how to get prepared for war. Yes. There was a particularly noteworthy rebellion that occurred in 1851 at Marlborough College when students re- rebelled as a result of an annoying, punctilious member of staff constantly picking them up for misdemeanours. And the students rebelled on fireworks night, blowing up a barrel of gunpowder and releasing fireworks. Classrooms <laughs> were ransacked, Bonfires built and chaos reigned. After three days, five boys were captured and expelled. But as they were carted off site, they were followed by all the other boys as a mob cheering loudly. And that mob was soon joined by local villagers who had nothing better to do. And when the expanded mob returned to the school, they beat up the staff member who was recording all the petty offences, burnt the headmaster's office and uh, threw away all the records of the misdemeanours. <laughs> 1851 at Marlborough College. That sounds like great fun, doesn't it? <laughs> Apart from the beating up a teacher. Can't sanction that. But burning the headmaster's office, damn straight. Damn right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and this is the rugby one that I, was, I mentioned a bit earlier. So another particularly good rebellion was at rugby school in 1797. This rebellion started when a pupil was caught shooting cork bullets his housemaster's studies window. The student was caught and interrogated by being waterboarded with cold and lumpy canteen custard. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Um, oh. he, was, he was caught. and The he, story he was just getting good. <laughs> it was getting very Beano again, wasn't it? Yeah. He confessed that he had bought gunpowder from a local shop. So again, the locals helping out here. The local shop was approached and it denied all knowledge of this purchase and showed the school staff its sales books and the boy was flogged for lying and his friends took revenge on the shop by smashing its windows. The headmaster then demanded that all the boys from the rest of the year groups pay for the damage 
and the boys refused and let off a bomb in the school. And I didn't realise, you know, yeah, let off a bomb in the school. I didn't realise this. Do you know the origins of the phrase round robin? Uh, no. As in a round robin email? Oh, I, I quite possibly, but a, a round robin, and I, I stumbled across this when researching this incident, a round robin is where... <laughs> the headmaster was robin and he was left around the school after the bomb went off. He was very fat. <laughs> Very fat, as they used to call him, round robin. A round robin is where you don't want to make it obvious who's the ringleader. And so you sign in a in a circle. Ah. So that's a round robin, so they don't know who the, who the ringleader was. After the bomb was set off, the following day, a full-scale rebellion broke out. Amongst all of the destruction, the boys created an enormous bonfire of all the school's furniture and very expensive books. The headmaster was locked in his quarters, but he managed to send word to the local town, and the local justice of the peace finally arrived at the school shortly after with some soldiers and local horse dealers with whips who were uh, <laughs> who happened to be in town for market day. The boys then retreated to a Bronze Age burial mound in the school grounds that has uh, got a moat. <laughs> of course, which school, which school would be complete without them? <laughs> That's private schools for you. <laughs> it is. They're their own Bronze Age burial mound. Yeah, with a drawbridge. I've seen quite a few uh, horror films, and um, I know for a fact that all American high schools are built on ancient Indian burial grounds, so it's not that far, yeah, <laughs> yeah. far-fetched. Uh, when they could quite easily have been built somewhere else. Because um, <laughs> that's <laughs> the American respect for the natives. They pulled up the drawbridge and had their final stand on this Bronze Age burial mound. It didn't last long though, because some of the local soldiers went round the back and snuck onto the onto the mound. And anyway, it took control of the situation. But that's a pretty impressive private school rebellion, isn't it? Yeah. And there was good reason for all of these rebellions. So during the 18th and 19th century, kids are dicks. <laughs> it was sixth formers. Yeah. So a large part of it was the fact that they were boys going through that age where they're wanting to rebel. They want some responsibility, but actually they're still dicks. Yeah. Physically adults, Been mentally there. still a child. <laughs> still there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there were other factors as well involved in why these rebellions took place. In the 18th and 19th centuries, the standard of education at these schools had dropped massively. So redundant topics were still being taught simply out of tradition and not need, i.e. classics. <laughs> <laughs> um... Um, <laughs> we went to university to study that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rather than things that are useful, like engineering. And during the Industrial Revolution, some of the most celebrated figures in society weren't educated in the most prestigious establishments. So think of George and Robert Stevenson. Schools were willfully mismanaged by headmasters often, keen to make as much money as possible for as little effort. And a chap called yeah. Joseph Drury... Oh, still sounds about right for some private schools. Yeah. yeah. A chap called Joseph Drury, he was a headmaster at Harrow School for 20 years, a famous school, and earned the equivalent of about £9 million in that time. Nice. Uh, just abusing the system, basically. Embezzling. <laughs> Embezzling, yeah. Uh, he, he, I think he didn't have any teachers, very few teachers and a huge number of students, and he just didn't really educate them properly. And his students lived in squalid conditions as well, with far less structure and supervision than they deserved based on what they were paying. And this seems to have been reasonably widespread. Students were bored and turned to scrapping and on the odd occasion organised rebellion. It's also worth pointing out that these kids were also spoiled brats um, who looked down on their plebeian teachers. There was also that. Alan Turing's parents were told that they would be wasting time at a private school if their son wanted to focus on sciences. Darwin said, Darwin said that the private school that he attended was shit. 
although they could well have helped him formulate the idea of survival of the fittest because these schools were like Lord of the Flies. So the strong loved it, the weaker got bullied and hated it. And everyone got fucked. <laughs> everyone got baggered. Pitt the Elder, who was Prime Minister of Great Britain between 1766 and 1768, disliked Eton so much that he had his son, Pitt the Younger, educated at home. I couldn't find out what happened to his other sons, Pitt the Arm, Pitt the Cess and Pitt the Bull Terrier. Um, <laughs> his private schools eventually overcame the mediocrity and sort of regained their credibility and esteem. His northern cousins, Pit the Tar, Pit the Coal, <laughs> yeah, and Pit the Cockfighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, and so yeah, these the private schools just had that tricky couple of hundred years, but they eventually overcame this uh, mediocrity and regained their credibility and their esteem. And there you go. But you can still be an absolute uh, mental wizard can't you, Sam, like us, by going to public schools. You can. Public schools being schools for the public instead of private schools that in the UK are called public schools, but they're private. Yes. <laughs> it must mean schools for public boys as opposed to private tutors, is I think probably what it means, but it's it's one of the things that makes no sense. Stupid. Yeah. But fuck but it, Yanks say I could care less when clearly they couldn't care less. So we've all got also, our things. They also call individual Lego... Legos. Yes. Fucking weird. Yes. No, it's a Lego block. It's a Lego piece. It's not a Lego. It makes me slightly angry when I hear it. Well, we better move on quickly before you start a rant. <laughs> <laughs> Private school rebellions. Oh, we're well, very good, Tom. Although, uh, seemingly, not so much asshole youth because they were more or less justified in some cases. Yeah, they were in some cases. Probably, I, I don't think there are many justifications for... Uh, holding a headmaster at ransom with axes. If he's embezzled nine million quid from the school. I'm not sure it was the same one. Um, Probably not the same one, but... Yeah, I mean, he could have been. That could have been why he was so wealthy, because he was headmaster at so many of these schools. Yes, doing literally no work in any of them. No, no. Very good, Tom. Thank you. Very good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it around, Tom, and I'm going to talk today about one of the most pious, boring, straight-laced kings in European history. Oh, who was that? Peter the Party? Ronald the Rambunctious, yeah. <laughs> Barry the Beanfeast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Prince Prince Paul the Partier. Oliver Oliver the Orgier. Prince uh, Bartholomew the Binge Drinker. <laughs> Paul the Pub Crawl. <laughs> uh, no, well, yes. Yes and no. I'm doing a Charles the Twelfth of Sweden, Tom. Oh, not him. <sighs> Yonker... Was he worse than Cromwell? Uh, well, it's, it's a, that's a big ask. It's a big ask to be worse than Cromwell. More boring than old crummy boring pants. Yeah, he was about as exciting as one of those small Ikea pencils. <laughs> that level of Swedish boring, Charles Twelfth. He's a king who didn't drink. He didn't shag around at all. In fact, he never even married and had a reputation as being completely celibate, though you know, whether or not that's actually true, we'll never know. But didn't drink didn't do anything exciting he was a, a pretty good king all round he fought a few wars he won a few wars he's generally considered pretty competent for most of his reign which incidentally was from uh, 1697 to 1718 yeah. in fact he managed to beat the combined kingdom of denmark norway poland and russia at the same sorry that's the combined kingdom of denmark norway and poland and russia at the same time aged just 18 
<sighs> snooze. Bit boring. Yeah. And uh, he was eventually killed in 1718 at the age of 36 whilst invading Norway, getting himself shot in the head like a dick with grape shot from a cannon whilst besieging a Norwegian fortress. And next week's episode is going to be on a topic... Oh, that's not it. Oh, sorry, there's some more. Sorry. <laughs> it's pretty much done. And that's me this week, Tom. <laughs> in fact, actually, since being since being shot in the head with a cannon, he's been dug up three times for autopsies after various rumours of nefarious or alternative deaths cropped up. And yes, each time the massive hole in his head has been pretty convincing evidence. <laughs> <laughs> alternative deaths. Yes. I like alternative therapy. Indeed, yeah. He was given a home Deaths that don't quite he work. He was given a homeopathic death. He was given some water that had once been shown a bullet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which only made it more effective. Well, he had a very, very, very small yeah. hole put in him. <laughs> yeah. Arguably, it could be an injection, which could actually work. Well, yes. It would be a bloody big injection, this one. Um, an injection of a very large amount of lead, <laughs> which, yeah. which also left his head again. <laughs> was he after... How, how many kings was he after Gustav Adolfsson? Adolfsson. That's a very good question that uh, that I'm not going to look up right now. <laughs> Swedish kings. Sounds like a good band name. Yes, we sweet kings of Orient are eating meat. One like a come pumpkin. From afar. One like... <laughs> One the root vegetable. <laughs> One self-assembly. <laughs> Fit him all in your car. <laughs> oh. Right, have you have you researched this yet or all are right, we going to ignore got, it got and move on? Gustavus Adolphus the Great, if I do say so myself. He ended in 1632 and then there was Charles the Tenth, Charles the Eleventh. And then guess who was after Charles the Eleventh? Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Charles the Twelfth. Oh, there we He's go. He's got a very long face. He does have a very long face, yes. Awfully long face and a rather it's big nose. Something of the Habsburgs around him, yes. He could be a very good velodrome cyclist. <laughs> he could. Very streamlined head. Yes, he looks a little bit like a kind of Mr. Incredible type character, doesn't he? Yeah, um, Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. So, so anyway, a pretty boring but pretty good king who was very young and did quite a good job and everyone liked until someone who didn't like him shot him in the face with a cannon. So, what is the point, Tom, in talking about him in an episode about arsehole youth? Well, I don't know, Sam. It's your part of the recording. It is, and I'm going to tell you. It's what happened in the summers of 1698 and 1699 before he became the boring straight-laced king the Swedish people know and love. I like the summer of... What was it again? It was the summer of uh, 1699, Summer of 1699. Yes. Are you going to get on to that? <laughs> I bought my first <laughs> real loot. <laughs> and Played it in the royal court. <laughs> got a cannon. Invaded <laughs> neighbour. <laughs> I got hit. My head came off. <laughs> <laughs> now it's rolling down the hill. <laughs> It'll be detached forever. <laughs> <laughs> That was the ending of, of my, my life. Great. There we go. Slightly forced, but... <laughs> <laughs> we got there in the end. Uh, yes, wait until I start singing Summer Loving Had Me a Blast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we'd have to both do that, aren't we? Because it's, it requires two parts. Shotgun oh, John on, Travolta. I'll be, a, I'll be Olivia Newton-John. Go on then, you forced my hand. <laughs> Oh, you're in tight leather trousers, Sam. 
<laughs> Tell me about it, stud. Exagger- exaggerate those skinny calves. <laughs> Where have your legs gone, Sam? <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> like two upturned bowling pins. <laughs> yeah. <it> Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> and he's still got bigger calves than I do. <laughs> You okay, Jan? <laughs> oh dear! Nothing quite like taking the piss out of a disabled athlete. <laughs> Brilliant. Disabled murderer. Yes, yes. Ah. <sighs> uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> yes, Tom. The summers of 1698 and 1699, before Charles the Twelfth became the boring straight-laced king the Swedish <laughs> people know and love. Because Tom, those were the summers. I'm so ashamed of myself. Those were the summers of the. You're, go- you're the. You're the, you're the. Of the two of us, you're the more self-righteous, and you're always the one. You're always the one that comes out with the disabled dicks. Well, it's because it's because I feel. I feel. I've never felt any shame because my dad only had one leg. Oh, it makes it all right then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, in that case, you can have a go at all of them. It was a part of my childhood. Oh, you got cerebral palsy. Oh, hang, oh. No, hang on now. I've only ever, I've only ever picked on amputees, <laughs> as if as if that makes it better. <laughs> yes, Tom. The summers of 1698 and 1699 were the summers of the Gotorp Fury, when the young king went wow. fucking mental. Is that like is that like a Swedish walkabout? Um, in, Where you go in a find way, yourself. in a way, uh, it was more of a gap yard. More of a gap year, yeah. It was more of a more gap year to Kenya. Less, less finding yourself and more getting very, very lost. <laughs> I'm going on a gap year to India. Yeah, I'm going on a gap year to India. Yeah, going to go to Agra in India for <laughs> my gap year. Yeah, the hostel I'm staying in is a is a five star. <laughs> five star in Agra, India. Part of my gap year. I've got to drive R. This <laughs> car. Yes, Tom, this was the Scandi scandal worthy of the Marquis de Sade, a Danish dust-up that left the palace in ruins, the Norwegian nightmare night out. It was a booze-fueled bender that ended in a lost summer and very nearly lost a kingdom. Like the Scandi scandal, did you say that? That's good. I did say Scandi scandal, yeah. Okay. And as all great, <laughs> as all great benders, Tom, begin, it began <laughs> with a wedding. Benders, by the way, in British parlance means a big night out. <laughs> <laughs> So it all began with a wedding. Frederick IV, the Duke of Holstein Gottorp. Oh, I like him. There's there's a title. Holstein Gottorp, by the way, is my favourite discount supermarket lager brand, came to Stockholm <laughs> to marry Charles's sister, Hedwig Sophia, who's not to be confused with his auntie, Dumbledore Anne. <laughs> <laughs> Although she could turn her head all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she could. <laughs> it's a talent. <laughs> Has its uses. <laughs> She also pooed entire small skeletons. <laughs> I hate this position. How did you do that? <laughs> Rotate's head all the way around. Stop looking at my ass. <laughs> so, uh, did I give you permission to slap? <laughs> oh dear. So Frederick was 27, moving swiftly on, and a bit of a party animal. Charles was 17 and wanted to prove he could keep up. He'd just been made king, he had big dreams, and he wanted to impress his new brother-in-law, the Duke. Now, Charles had always been a tough kid. A fun little playground game he played growing up was dividing all of the palace staff and all of his friends into two opposing teams and then going at each other with sticks. <laughs> nice. Stixies. Who's that for game of Stixies? Oh, not again. <laughs> barely, barely recovered from the spiral fracture of the yeah, wrist yeah. last time. 
they would literally go fighting in the palace courtyard with clubs. It was quite common for people to get killed. <laughs> nice. He'd also been hunting bears with a spear since the age of 12. Nice. Because he considered guns to be unsportsmanlike. Well, it's true though, isn't it? It you, is. You pose over a bloody line that you've shot in the Serengeti with a great big automatic rifle you don't have to do anything with. Not very impressive. No, there's not much sport to it. Kill it with your teeth and I'll, yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll take a second I'll look your, at your picture. I'll buy you a pint, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here was a new challenge. He'd taken on bears, he'd taken on the best of the palace staff. <laughs> the best of the Stixiers. Stixies at dawn. Yeah, the top Stixies in the whole household. The stickiest of Stixers. But here was a new challenge. A hot brown and sticky. <laughs> a poo. A carry on. Uh... <laughs> but here was a new challenge, Tom. A hot young duke let loose in a big city. And like all impressionable young boys with a troublesome friend, the two egged each other on into several weeks of madness. It all started kind of innocently enough, sort of, Whilst here in council, the king and the duke would eat cherries and start spitting the stones at whoever was crouched down in front of them trying to speak. (laughs) Nice. A bit of a dick move. (laughs) But what's the point in being a king if you can't gob on the prime minister? Exactly. Quote from Queen Elizabeth II. (laughs) (laughs) While shouting, who's a naughty boy to Boris? Who's a naughty boy then? It's just like being back at Eton. Boris loves it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah snuffles around like a pig oh no don't do that bad things happen to pigs at public school as david cameron will tell you yeah well they went to the same they went to the same private school at the same time didn't they they did indeed went to the same same dinner parties and so yes it started off with just being a bit a bit of a dick and gobbing food all over your senior government ministers and then the drinking started from april to august the king and the duke were almost constantly hammered Every single night, there was no let-up. They egged each other on to do more and more stupid things as they were drinking as well. They shot out the windows of the palace with guns before throwing all of the royal furniture out of them. The throne was thrown, Tom, and the seat of power ended up in the flowers. Nice. (laughs) Yes. They then, for larks, because, ha-ha, released a load of rabbits into the parliamentary chamber. And, uh, And then when all of the MPs were confused about this, released a load of hunting dogs to course them. (laughs) Right. So the government found itself in the middle of a melee of rabbits being ripped up by hunting dogs during the course of a parliamentary session. He then ransacked his own chapel. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, go back a little bit. I bet that was hair-raising. Oh! Edit that bit in. Edit that bit in. Go on. Yeah. (laughs) They wouldn't shut up about it, Tom. They were just rabbiting on. Oh, no! Fairly frequently after drinking all morning, the pair would saddle up racehorses and ride through Stockholm at incredible speed with their swords out. I say. Picking the wigs. <laughs> oh. uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Sabres out, lads. <laughs> but this was, and I'm amazed that no one got hurt doing this. They would ride around with their swords out and basically use their swords to pluck the wigs and hats off anyone who they could get close enough to, uh, terrorising the people Scout of Stockholm. Chopped <laughs> yes. his head off. Oh, it was a pair that I've just chopped off someone's head. Oh, well. (laughs) I still got his wig. One Ah. point to me. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it 99 to 98. (laughs) Keep up, Frederick, you arthritic old prick. (laughs) So, yes, they would ride around plucking their wigs and hats off people's heads. 
encouraging gangs of kids to join in with them as they rampage through the town, leading them on a race through the streets. Da, 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 da. You're picturing it, listeners. Yeah, you are. Ironically, Rocky is a kind of IKEA table lamp. <laughs> and Dolph Lundgren, who plays the Soviet guy, he's Swedish. Is he? Yeah, connection. He was a Swedish discus thrower, I think. Interesting. What's the guy's name in the film? I, I can't remember, but that is actually one of the things that's vaguely back to the story. Haha, <laughs> segue neatly, you won't get away that quickly. <laughs> one of the things that Charles and Frederick would get up to every night is they would take the royal plates at dinner, wait until they were piled high with food, and then frisbee them across the Great Hall. <laughs> wow. Pinging them at whoever happened to be in the way. Basically, but just a bit of a dick move. Ivan Drago. Of course it was uh, Ivan Drago. Uh, and they would, so after riding around all day terrorising the citizens, their horses would fall down dead of exhaustion. They'd buy another ha, racehorse. Ha, ha. Ha, this ha, is ha. fun. <laughs> Animal cruelty is wonderful. They couldn't carry the 105 heads I collected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so at this point, they just buy more racehorses and do exactly the same again once it got dark before riding their horses around the inside of the palace instead. In one instance, they even, quote, snuck into, fuck knows how they managed to get in without us spotting them, into the Queen Mother's bedroom as she was playing cards before kicking the horses into a frenzy and frightening the shit out of her. <laughs> I bet. Hiding, yeah. Presumably hiding them behind a curtain. <laughs> yeah, crikey. There are even stories, probably untrue, that they actually had a competition one drunken night between the two of them to see who was the strongest swordsman by bringing an entire herd of sheep into the throne room of the palace okay. and decapitating them one by one with a sword until someone got tired, which... Right. Rumour has it, wasn't until the floors and stairs of the palace literally ran with blood. I mean, they could have just sheared them, couldn't they? And that would have been they could have equally done. as skillful. And less violent. And you would have got a woolly jumper out of it. Yeah. Indeed. Or yeah. a nice new bed sheet. Yes, and apparently after decapitating the sheep, they threw the heads at uh, <laughs> senior politicians. Fair enough. Gave them the horn. <laughs> Quite. I say, you. Yes, sire? No, that was a warning. You! <laughs> <laughs> Bonk! <laughs> Crack! <laughs> and this went on from April till August 1698 until eventually Frederick actually got married to Hedwig Sophia, a.k.a. Professor Snape, and buggered off back to Holstein Gottorp. It was only then that Charles finally, after several months of drinking, woke up, realised it was three months later, and he had a raging hangover, a sheep's head and a thousand powdered wigs in his bed, <laughs> and realised the terrible mistake he made of the last few months. It hadn't helped matters that he, well, he was a very religious king, and, as you can tell from his past few months' behaviour, God yeah. all the way, God first, the senior preachers of Stockholm had all begun to preach against him on Sundays, something he was absolutely mortified about, and it got to the point where there was even the risk of a popular uprising against him. He'd been so badly behaved. He immediately gave up drinking and women and turned to prayer and architecture instead. <laughs> the boring fucker. Yeah. But it did probably save his rule. It's entirely likely that some of the stories completely made up by people and journals and newspapers at the time who were trying to undermine his rule or at least try and get Duke Frederick out of the picture. And in fact, the Duke was given the mocking nickname of the Gottorp Fury for the rest of his life after the name given to the events. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's entirely possible that there would have been a public uprising and that, and that Charles's government ministers would have been at the front of the pickets once they'd managed to get all the sheep's blood and seeds out of their wigs. <laughs> he did have one relapse, though, because the next summer, one year later, Frederick came to visit again 
In this instance, during one particularly drunken night, there was a bit of a ruckus coming from the Great Hall, at which point a very drunk bear, who had been force-fed <laughs> vintage wine, fell through a window <laughs> and dropped three floors into the courtyard below, <laughs> dying instantly. At which point, Charles apparently appeared at the broken window, half undressed and with a bottle in his hand. <laughs> they just knocked him. What had he done? Did he knock him out? Well, we don't know. We don't know whether he knocked the bear out in a fist fight. <laughs> Or just force-fed it so much booze that it got paralytically drunk and fell out of a window. Stumbled out, yeah. Yeah. Um, at any rate, when he woke up the next morning, his grandma told the Queen Mother, who he'd previously snuck a racehorse into her bedroom, yeah. told him what he'd done, and he was absolutely mortified. He was so ashamed for falling off the wagon that he did actually completely give up drinking anything for the rest of his life, except beer. He allowed himself one beer after every battle that he won, which is possibly why he won so many of them. <laughs> I'm desperate for some booze. <laughs> yes. But actually, it did. It, it had political repercussions being a bit of a twat for a year uh, because later in 1899, spurred on by, in part, the fact that he was perceived as an insolent, drunken arsehole boy king who couldn't lead a pub crawl, let alone an army, that was why, one of the reasons why, Russia, Poland and Norway, Denmark invaded simultaneously. Fortunately, by this point, Charles had finally sobered up and uh, clearly all those games of sticky <laughs> stuck Stixies. with him. Stixies! Stixies, because he pretty roundly twatted every single country that attacked him. But there we go, Tom. That is the Gotorp Fury, the uh, three-month bender of King Charles Twelfth of Sweden. Do you think it actually happened or do you think it's a bit of a William Hague? Do you think he's just trying to impress everyone because he was so... Beige. <laughs> I know. Some of it definitely happened. Some of it definitely happened. Whether it really was as bad as people say, nobody knows. But he did have two really bad summers of drinking. You don't think it's PR team? You need to go to Glastonbury and get fucked and go on stage. You need to go up and interrupt Stormzy's set yeah. and start freestyling along. Yeah, 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 and saying that. Yeah, you, I'm going to give you everything. I'm good. Yeah, the girl, my government's going to pay for everything. <laughs> that's what you got to do that doesn't, sound, that, that doesn't sound like anything that would happen today <laughs> <laughs> no could possibly happen <laughs> uh, good story good story I like that's good as well because I don't think we've done any Swedish no it's been a while early modern history have we it's been a while yeah very nice yeah, I was pleased with that one when are we going to do the Greece thing then the musical or just ancient Greece well, because you, you need be to Olivia specify it Don, weren't you uh, that was just a joke. And I was going to be JT. No, that was that was just a joke. You can call him John Travolta. I call him JT. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant him. I thought you meant Justin Timberlake. Because <laughs> we're good friends. No, no, no. I'm not good friends with Justin. Good. Should we find a topic for next week? <laughs> yeah. Well, have we got any that we haven't yet? No. That we need to honour. We've got a clean slate. Oh, so um... uh, so we need to pick two. We need to pick one for the patrons next week. Okay. And then we need to pick one for the public. Okay, discus throwing. Uh, let's do the Olympics. You can't just do the Olympics. You can do, you can do sport again. We've done sport before. Uh, let's do Olympics. You can do just the Olympics, can't you? You can find a silly little story for oh, the All right, then, fine. Let's do the Olympics next week for patrons. Okay. And then... In honour of the fact that it's not going to take place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for next year. And after that, why don't we do... Let's do boy bands. <laughs> boy bands. We could do bands. We could do bands. Let's do bands. Let's do bands. Okay, bands. yeah. Yeah. So it's Olympics and then bands. Perfect. Sweet. 
And if you do want to be part of the patron party... There ain't no party like the patron party. There ain't no party like a patron party because the pastry's puffed and fresh. <laughs> Volavant. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can join the Order of the Bath <laughs> by going to patreon.com slash that was genius. Or you can find it through uh, our website, thatwasgeniuspodcast.com. Good for networking as well, isn't it? You can just sit in the bubble bath, in the bath, and just network yes. with all the other people. Absolutely, yes. You can have a power lunch. Yeah, it's only very powerful elite people. Yep. Uh, you'd be doing yourself... No riffraff. It's a, you'd be doing yourself a favour. To be honest, I would say that it's basically a tax-deductible expense. Oh, for most people, undoubtedly. Completely. So, uh, so yes, do get your accountants onto that. Unless you are an accountant, in which case you're not going to be fun enough to be listening to this podcast. You can find us <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for That Was Genius. Or you can email us, thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Any episode suggestions? We would love to hear them. Saves us the challenge of trying to find one ourselves. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> other than that, we'll see you next week, I guess. Unless you're not a patron, in which case we'll see you in two. We'll see you soon, anyway. We'll see you soon. Miss you and love you. Bye. Bye. Wazzy. One more.